Hey, I want to introduce our speaker to you this morning. Uh, he's Bart Tarman. And uh, very good, Bart. He said, don't get gushy on him, but I'm going to put my arm around him. <laughs> I and knew he'd uh, do that. for all of us, uh, at least our first year students, you may not know who Bart is. Bart was chaplain here for 13 years, and he's in his third year as chaplain at large. Now, look at us. I mean, I'm the large chaplain, and he's the. <laughs> I won't say little chaplain. No, he's just he's just the guy who gets to go around the world and see wonderful things going on in the church and the kingdom of God and uh, represents Westmont College as he does that and uh, can come back and encourage and edify us as he does. And uh, Bart, I can't say welcome because, well, yeah, welcome back. This is your welcome first back. time to speak in chapel this year, and we're glad you're here. I want to say a prayer for Bart. Would you join me as we pray, Lord, for you to bless him? and keep him and use him. Lord, make him clear. Give him your peace. And Lord, may you be exalted and may we be encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I want to read from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Starting at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. And was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Well, this is a tough week to speak. I want to thank uh, President Gady and Ben and many of the rest of the faculty and staff for giving such tremendous leadership this past week, helping all of us to think this tragedy through. This morning, I'd like to share a little of my own uh, personal journey, and it's, a, it's just kind of amazing to me how it's interwoven with this tragedy. I, I sort of wish it hadn't, but it has. 
There's a famous author and pastor, writer, who said that we all need to take a journey inward in order to take a journey outward. And that might be a parable for what I've experienced. I met Christ when I was 17 years old in Mount Prospect, Illinois. I was a budding atheist at the time, kind of wrecked my career. I was sort of an evangelistic atheist, which seems a little odd to me now, but... I was. I wanted to tell everybody why they shouldn't believe in God. And then Jesus messed it all up by intruding into my life with his love. And his love is a compelling love. I mean, it's just so compelling. The last thing I thought would happen on that November night in Mount Prospect, Illinois was that the love of Jesus and Jesus himself through the Spirit, though I wouldn't have had any of those words at the time, flooded my life. And he lavished his forgiveness on me. And I I haven't been able to shake him in 35 years. I've tried. I've had some dark times when I just tried to shake him. At one point, I told a fellow atheist friend of mine that I was so mad at God that The night before, I kicked him out of my life and told him I didn't believe in him anymore. My atheist friend just started laughing, which really hurt me because he was a friend. And I said, don't you know how deep this is to me? I just told you that I told God I don't believe in him anymore. You know my journey. And he said, Bart, if you don't believe in him anymore, why did you have to tell him? I thought, oh, my word, I can't even kick him out of my life. I've got to tell him I've kicked him out of my life. He seemed to have hemmed me in with his love through many tragedies, doubts, hardships. And then I went through a journey of adding things on to this love of Jesus, really good things, lots of theological training and thinking. I love to do theology. Lots of reading. I love to read. Lots of discussing and debating and arguing. Lots of experiences in worship and the Holy Spirit and gifts and all kinds of things. And and pretty soon it was the love of Jesus and about 40 other things that I was really being compelled by. And then somewhere about 15 years ago, I started a journey back inward. I, I didn't know it. A friend of mine said, Bart, why don't... You know, you're reading so much theology, and it's really good, and, but why don't you read the Gospels again and just see if you recognize Jesus? Because for me, Jesus looked kind of like John Calvin at that point in my life, being a good Presbyterian that I am. And I went back into the Scriptures, and I, st- I made a commitment to read the Gospels for the rest of my life on a regular basis, that I would just always be reading them. And it took about three or four readings, to be honest with you, for me to unread all that I had learned over the years prior to that. But when I unlearned some of that, the compelling figure of Jesus Christ started leaping off the page. And he was so different than I had construed him to be in the 15 years since I first had him flood my life with his forgiveness and his love. And the journey inward began, for me, for a second time, really. 
Well, little did I know that that journey inward would take me on a journey outward, and that journey outward has caused me some real problems this last week. You see, I, uh, I love a lot of Muslim people. I don't mean just kind of I love all the people who are Muslims sort of sentiment. I mean, I have dear, dear, dear friends who are Muslims now in many parts of the world. And, and the problem is, once I got to know them, I actually liked them. I mean, not just as targets of evangelism. I actually fell in love with them. I've got two little girls in Lebanon that almost think of me as their dad. I, when I was there in April, I visited them in their school, and they came running down the stairs and jumped into my arms. Arms. So this week's been a hard week for me because, as one of my friends from Lebanon said, it's an American friend, he said, it's, it's like one part of my family is killing another part of my family, and the other part of the family is now thinking of killing this part of the family. So it's sort of personal for me. The irony is that when I was set apart by the college, for which I'm very gracious to the college, when I was set apart to be a chaplain at large, that doesn't mean like a convict, as I... It was meant to be kind of ambassadorial, really impressive sounding. It means at large, out and about, representing the cause of Christ on behalf of the college. And I've been given that privilege around the world. It's a great privilege. And I, I decided, we thought through the guidance of the Lord, my wife and myself who do this together, that, that Latin America would be our emphasis. And so we visited eight or ten countries in Latin America in the last year or two. And we have friends all over Latin America. And then I started developing, because of Westmont, a friendship with a man who'd given his life to Muslims in Beirut, Lebanon. And we struck up a deep, deep friendship. And he kept inviting us to Beirut. And I kept saying, you know, I'm focusing on Latin America. And the only similarity I can see is Latin and Lebanon both start with L's, but that just doesn't do it. And he said, oh, would you please come? I said, well, why don't you come to the prayer breakfast? So he did. And I said, why don't you bring some of your friends? So he did. A Muslim Koran scholar and a Muslim businessman to the national prayer breakfast three years ago. Well, the Muslim PhD student in the Koran actually had Jesus invade his heart. That's not supposed to happen. I mean, I didn't even tell him the four spiritual laws or anything. In fact, it didn't have anything to do with me. He was just struck down by the love of Jesus. And so we started writing. And then, and then they came back a second year, and his wife, and she was kind of struck, but not quite so much. And but growing, and others started. And then they started a little study group, and they started reading about Jesus. And many of them started a journey toward Him. Some of them found Him. And now they're in the midst of trying to figure out what to do with all this. And so last April, we, uh, I don't have time to tell you the whole story of how it happened, but we took a group of people to Lebanon. It included... Uh, two brothers in Christ who happened to serve in the United States Congress. Frank Wolf, who's a Republican from Virginia and makes Attila the Hun look liberal, and 
his best friend, Tony Hall, a Democrat from Ohio, and these two men meet in the small chapel in the Capitol every week to pray together. Then the buzzer rings and they go to the floor and they cancel out each other's votes. <laughs> About 80% of the time, the one thing they vote the same way on is human rights and hunger. They both love Jesus. They both pray. They both want peace in the world. They both want good things. They have very different ways of thinking about what the best way to get at it is, but they're unified in Jesus. So we took them and their wives and, and, and in response to this invitation. And this was last April. I'm going to show you a seven-minute video of the trip. I apologize for the voice in it. It's my own. And uh, I had planned to edit this for the chapel I was going to do in October, but it just seems so much more germane to show today. Let me describe briefly what you're going to see. You're going to see Beirut, Lebanon as it is today. Then you will go inside a Muslim home where we were hosted for 10 days. And you're going to see the host of that home welcome some people and the people he's welcoming you don't see. I mean, this is just us with a video camera on our lap. I mean, we're not professionals. And and the people that he's talking to are 70 people just the same age as you, and they're university students at the Harvard of the Middle East, which is the American University of Beirut. That same night, we met with 200 people, including 10% of the parliament of Lebanon, and the next night with the business leadership, and the congressmen talked about Jesus and their love for one another against the divide of uh, Republican and Democrat. And people were touched. And then we went to the border of Israel. Israel and Lebanon are not like great friends. And you'll see that. And none of the Lebanese that we took had ever seen their own border. This was the first time they saw it. And on our way back, we made a very important but spontaneous decision for five of us to visit a Palestinian refugee camp run by the PLO. That's the Palestinian Liberation Organization. We took the congressman in there, secretly. We spent a, about a, two, three hours there. We had total freedom. And I saw, so I've seen the faces of the people who are so hopeless that suicide sounds like a good idea. Because living sounds like a bad idea. So you're not going to see pictures of that last part because uh, it would have been inappropriate and dangerous to film there. But let's, let's roll it and then I'll come back. Hello. Am I walking into somebody here? <clears throat> what you do with those images. But for me, uh, they're actually images of friends. And by the way, nothing I took there, don't misconstrue it as my political views on any situation. I just was taking it as what I saw as best I saw it. Paul said the love of Christ was what compelled him. He had a very strange problem because... He was an Orthodox Jew. He'd been taught all of his life that 
in order for people to find truth, they had to understand it his way and exactly his manner and come to his country and become a part of his group. And then he met Jesus. And then he met others who'd met Jesus. That's called the church. And then he experienced true life. Jesus took him inward, but then Jesus took him outward. And he went with, with many other friends and companions around the known world of his day for his culture. And he found, to his great surprise and maybe even a little bit of panic, that people who weren't supposed to meet Jesus did. That Jesus was so relevant to Romans and to Greeks and to men and to women and to slaves and to free and to barbarians and to Scythians. He found that the person of Jesus was relevant everywhere he went and that people's lives were changed when he lifted up the person of Jesus, the Christ, our Lord, the Son of God. I'm finding the same thing. And I'm finding that so much of my life in which I was trying to do that through programs, and they were sometimes successful, sometimes not, I'm finding that through a network of loving friends around the world, around Santa Barbara, around the state of California, the United States of America, through a network of loving friends, read church, that people actually wind up coming to Jesus. I want to read another section from the Apostle Paul. It's in Ephesians. Uh, Many scholars say Ephesians is about the church. I think they're only partly right. Ephesians is about Jesus from start to finish. Paul had his favorite phrase for talking about Jesus. He, He said, we should all be in Christ. He used it 185 times in his writings. You kind of get the feeling he likes the phrase. He wanted everyone to find their identity in Christ. Because before, he had found his identity in being holy by his culture and his religion's viewpoint. And he found that it was meaningless. Just like Congressman Hall said, he'd found all this success and he found it was meaningless. But when he found his true identity, he found that it was in the person of Jesus Christ. Because you see, when God wanted to reach the world with his love, he didn't send a doctrine. He didn't even send a book. He didn't send a formula. He sent a person, his own son. In the parable that Jesus told about the vineyard owner who who let his vineyard out, it's just like the vineyards we have right here in the county. And this guy, he just hired people to take care of his vineyards and he went off to Europe for a little relaxing vacation. And when the harvest time came, he sent one of his chief accountants over to collect the money from the people he'd he'd lent out or loaned out his, uh, leased his vineyard to. And the guy came to get the money. They beat him up. Well, he gets back on a plane. He goes back to the guy. He's got black eyes, broken nose. He's, my word. So then the owner sends over the second accountant, who wasn't real excited, I don't think, about the idea. And they beat him up. And he sent him another one. They killed him. And he kept sending many others, Jesus tells in his story. 
And then finally, it says he didn't have anyone left to send. Now, the people listening to this in the first century, they were an oral tradition people. They loved story. And after the first one, the people would have been saying, don't send another one. And then Jesus goes, well, he did. He sent another one. They beat him up. And they're going, what did you expect? And they, they, the next one they killed, I told you. And then it's this beautiful little sentence. It says, and he had only one left. And the people in the crowd, I think Jesus, the master storyteller, must have stopped there. He had only one left to send. The people must have been going, don't do it. They're going to kill him. And then he said, one left, a son. Ah, oh, don't. They'll kill your son. When God came, He didn't come as a formula. He didn't come as a book. He didn't come as a religion. He came as a person named Jesus. And we're told by the Apostle Paul that Jesus has something in mind for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 13, he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, all of you who were far away, he's talking to the non-Jews, the outsiders, those awful people over there, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself, Christ Himself is our peace, who has made the two, the outsiders and the insiders, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new person out of the two, thus making peace. And he put to death their hostility. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is the plan of Jesus. This is the mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was sent by the Father, sent His very heart. That He wants to break down every wall. Whether it's a wall inside of you, the journey inward. Or whether they are walls outside of you. Those Muslims, those Buddhists, those atheists those liberals, those conservatives, those feminists, those cons traditionalists, those homeschoolers, those public schoolers, those Christian schoolers. He came to break down every wall in Jesus Christ. Well, I found that it's actually becoming a reality for me. I, I now have some new thoughts about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, if Jesus was an American, if he'd come at this moment in time instead of when he did, if he grew up in the Bible Belt, I think he would tell the parable of the Good Muslim. There are two people, their first names are Mahmoud, and Lena. Mahmoud is a neurologist. He lives in Beirut, Lebanon. Lena is a PhD in, in political 
issues and conflict resolution. They're highly educated. They live in Beirut. And in the middle of their 17-year-long civil war, the marks of which you saw in those bullet-riddled uh, buildings, in the midst of that, they had the ability to flee. And it was a terrible situation because their civil war was between Christian armies and Muslim armies and the Israeli army, the three great religions of the world. And there were Christian militias killing Muslim militias. And I've met people on both sides. I've met some of them that committed atrocities. I've talked to them face to face. One who came to complete repentance over it just about two months ago and published an apology for the whole world. Why? Because his heart was touched by the love of Jesus. Well, these two, this neurologist and this Ph.D. professor, decided to stay with their little children in the midst of this terrible war. And I asked him, why did you stay? And he said, Bart, the people were being shot every day. And I'm a doctor. I had to stay and take care of them. And stay he did. He stayed for about... 12 or 10 years of the Civil War. And finally, one evening, when he went to dinner, he went up to get his wife and his child, from, till two, two little girls from their, their apartment on about the 12th floor. I can see it. I've been there. And they went down for, for some food. And at that moment, a rocket hit the building. It was trying to take out an ambassador who lived a few floors above them, and they missed. And they hit his apartment and blew it to smithereens. This man and this woman stayed to serve the poor. I think Jesus would have told that story and said, now, which one? What? And then, you know, during that same time, there were Christian people, evangelical people, Bible-believing Westmont grads who, who, and young life leaders and people like the guy talking to you right now who, who, who left, who got out. Now, which of those two do you think love God with all their heart and love their neighbor as themselves? And if you were like the person Jesus was telling the original story to, and if it was me, I would be thinking, I know what you're getting at, but it's hard to say that a Muslim person might have been living the two great commandments better than people with what I consider to be and do consider to be more accurate and correct theology. Jesus was shaking things up. He takes us inside and breaks our preconceived notions. And if you'll let him, he'll take you outside and he'll break some of your preconceived notions. But he will bring you a tremendous joy. You pull Jesus out of the correlation and nothing happens, I guarantee you. You keep Jesus at the center of it and amazing things happen. So I'm a bit conflicted because I love so many of the people on both sides. And they're not even sides. It's just tragedy all the way around. So I want to leave you with a question this morning. It's a question I started with in reading Paul's words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ compels us. I want to turn that into a question. In the midst of your mourning, in the midst of my mourning, in the midst of your anger, in the midst of my anger, 
in the midst of your feeling out of control and wondering what's going to happen, is it the love of Christ that is compelling our thinking and our decisions? And is, are we even allowing Him to mold our emotions? Is the love of Christ the compelling force in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the lavish forgiveness and love that you have given us in Jesus. And I thank you for the joy that he puts in place of sadness and the hope that he puts in the place of despair. And Father, I... All week I've been talking to students and some have said, well, you're older, what what do you make of all this? And I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I'm rocked to the foundation just like these younger friends. I'm less convinced about a lot of things, Father, but I'm more convinced about your son than I've ever been. His relevance. Lord, may his love compel us. May his love drive us and hem us in. And may his love form each of the decisions we make. We thank you, Father. We bless you. And I commit these young people and faculty and staff guests under the power of your Holy Spirit I pray that they might know beyond any shadow of doubt the love of Jesus how wide and deep and high and incomprehensible it is Amen you're dismissed